Well, good to be together again in the house of the Lord. And it's nice not to preach to an empty room. Well, I was preaching at Jason a lot, you know, so it's nice to not read a teleprompter and have a little bit more uh, freedom in, in preaching and so forth. Um, and I thought I would just continue a little bit longer in this theme of looking at the Psalms. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate about the Psalms, and I think we can, we all can do that when we read it, is we're not just, you know, it's it's different than any other part of Scripture. Because in Scripture, it's it's talking about the commandments or it's telling a story, and you're kind of have an external view of what's going on in people's lives. But the Psalms is unique because it's giving you, it's not just telling a story. In fact, there's hardly any stories in the Psalms, right? It's, there's even a, just a few you can link to something where it's talking about an account. And in fact, we're going to look at one of these uh, this morning. But, but what the, what's different with the Psalms and why they're so valuable, it gives us a picture of what's going on inside of the heart of the writer of the psalm. And it and it shows like a it captures what they're expressing to God, how they're crying out to God, how they're trusting in God, how they're believing and and their praise to the Lord they're giving in it and it it just it's unique and it's instructive. And it gives us an example that we can look to and follow. You know, I mean, the rest of scripture you have to read between the lines, right? You kind of see Daniel in the lion's den you can't really see into his heart. You can just kind of guess what is what's going on there, as we can probably tell, sitting in front of a lion. Lord, Lord help me. You know, or Joseph in the prison. We read about it, but yet the Psalms show us this is what was happening. This is what was taking place. And so, um, you know, they can help us understand what was happening in the heart of the psalmist, often King David. Um, and so it gives us an example of what a godly man did in times of trouble, how he cried out to God, how he trusted in him and how he overcame. And that's good because we need to do the same thing. We have to have a right heart and response and that heart of trust. And so I wanted to look this morning with you at, at Psalm 16, if we could, um, it doesn't say directly it's a Psalm of David, but it's thought that it. It is a psalm, and it was. It's thought that it was written uh, while David was fleeing from Saul in the wilderness at his younger age, um, when he was there, and and so it was. It was a time when the enemy was like one step behind him. If he made the wrong step or went to the wrong place, he was a goner. And but he and so he just had to cry out to God. The the title. Oh wait. It is David. It says a victim of David. That's right. All these psalms kind of flow together after a while. It says a victim of David. Uh, one one commenter said that that this word is derived from from a word meaning meaning to hide, to hide. And so it, it, the the title of the psalm is basically hiding in the Lord, hiding in the Lord. And so you know it's that that concept of David made the Lord his hiding place. And so, you know, in many of David's psalm, we, th- we see this theme of, of running to God and hiding 
in God. And I, I was think I think that's one of the things that really kept him, that preserved his life through many situations, whether it was, you know, running from the enemy or whether it was facing the sin in his life. He learned to run to God and hide in God and you know that that kept him. It preserved him. And that's going to keep us too. If we learn to hide in God and trust in him in all seasons, he'll and we obey him. That's that's a big part. But then he preserves us because he's our hiding place. There's another word of, or another way that miktem is translated is it's translated as golden or precious jewel. It's a golden psalm. And it kind of carries that idea of the treasure that can be obtained in a life that trusts in God, that hides oneself in God. That's a life full of treasure or a life that will receive treasure from the Lord. And this psalm is also unique because it's messianic. It kind of speaks about Christ. We see Christ's life in this psalm. So let's read this together. We'll just read through some verses here. And at Psalm 16 and verse 1, David cries, Preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. And so, as we're saying, David is being pursued by Saul in the wilderness. And um, it's like he has a small band and he's always outnumbered. The enemy's always bigger than him. And so, He's saying, Lord, you preserve me. You're bigger than my enemies, so I'm, I'm asking the biggest one in the room, preserve me. And, you know, that's how we can feel at times, outnumbered, overwhelmed, that the situation is much bigger than we face. And, you know, you can, I think that, that's being fulfilled in multiple ways in our lives, in our nation, and so forth. And so, but for David, there was a question what, whether he would even make it whether he was even going to get out of this alive. But yet he turned to God and said, Lord, preserve me because I'm trusting in your name. I'm trusting in you. You know, he was just placing his life in the capable hands of God. And that's, a, that's the outlook we want to have. Lord, your hands are capable. I can't speak for the situation I'm in. It's overwhelming, but your hands are capable. When we make that our outlook, it puts God in the position of saying, well, I'll preserve. Verse 2 of Psalm 16 says, O my soul, you have said unto the Lord, you are my God. My goodness extends not to thee. You know, it's not because of the goodness on, on our part that we cry out to God and we can trust to be preserved. In fact, it's the opposite. We can, we're pretty certain that we're not good enough and <laughs> there's only God is good. And it's only because of his mercy that he delivers us, that he preserves us. And so that's a good place to start in God. Lord, it's your goodness. I'm not, it's not my goodness, it's your goodness. You know, when we start from that, it puts us in that place of humility. And, you know, humility attracts the attention of God. A few Psalms, well, 10 Psalms earlier. Psalm 9 in verse 12 says this, says God is going to come in judgment. But then it says, he remembers them. He forgets not the cry of the humble. God forgets not the cry of the humble. So even in judgment and in terrible times and situations, 
the Lord says, yes, but even in all that, I do not forget the cry of the humble. That's important. So we can be in the midst of difficulty and situation. What will grab the attention of the, the ear of God? It's that heart that's crying out to him from a place of humility. Of trusting in him. Of just, Lord, my times are in your hand. I'm not going tr- to search for any other solution. It's just you. Back in Psalm 16 and verse 3, it says, well, back in verse 2, it says, uh, my goodness extends not to thee, but then verse 3, it says, but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent and whom is all my delight. And so it's kind of turning prophetic of, of the Lord speaking to his people. You know, Christ speaking here that, that it's thought that his delight is in the excellent that are in the earth, in the godly, in those who are setting their eyes upon the Lord, doing what pleases the Lord. And so there's that sense of, of qualification to be in this position. Another psalm, jumping around to psalms here, Psalm 101, and verse 6. It says, My eyes, and here's the Lord speaking again, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. My eyes will be upon those who are faithful, And you could probably put in different words, those who are humble, those who are trusting. You know, those qualities draw the heart of God so that it doesn't really matter the situation we're in. You know, God, all of these promises are are so much bigger than whatever situation we can face. We can face anything in life. And God's saying, my eyes are upon the humble, upon the faithful. And you can rest in that. And so the context of Psalm 16 is God's eyes are upon those who set their heart on Him, who are faithful to serve Him and put their trust in Him. Going on in Psalm 16 and verse 4, it says, Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after other gods. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer. I will not take their name up upon my lips. So David's kind of coming back to the first person here. And he considers all the wickedness around him. And that's something we do at times as Christians. We look around and say, all this wickedness going on. And, and he makes a declaration. Right? He's, he's making the declaration of, I, I'm looking, I see all these wickedness, and I see you know, people serving other gods, and they practice wickedness, and their end is just going to be sorrow. But I will not follow that way. I will set my way, set my my pathway in what is pleasing to God. And, and you know, this is, it's important to remember this, this concept that David's talking about that, you know, you can, there's a lot of crazy things going on today. I mean, you just have to look at the news, even just this weekend, there's just so much craziness. And sometimes it's, it's hard to see what what's up or what's down with what's going on. And hard to comprehend it. But David basically says this, I'm not going to follow the way of the ungodly. I'm not going to get in I'm not going to involve myself in their ways because they're hastening after another God. They're they're doing they are on a different pathway. Their focus is upon something else. And you know, the fruit of that is going to be 
destruction, a lack of peace. It's going to be, you know, unpleasant fruit, you could say. But David says, you know, what's going to keep me is, is if I just keep my eyes upon the Lord and do what's right in His sight and avoid involving myself in those things in whatever way, you know, involvement can be multifaceted. We don't just have to be doing it. It can just be, you know, talking about it or letting the fear of it enter into our hearts or so forth. But David makes that declaration. The Lord is my portion. I'm going to set my heart on Him. I'm not going to get involved in those things. In fact, um, in verses 5 and 6, David makes that exact declaration back in Psalm 16, verse 5. It says, The Lord is my portion. He's my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines or, or my inheritance has fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a godly, a goodly heritage. And so David's saying, I'm, I'm not really looking at those around me and what's going on around me in the earth. You know, and so in one sense, he's not seeking a lasting inheritance in the earth. The Lord is his inheritance. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You will maintain my inheritance. You will maintain it. You know, and that makes such a difference. When our eyes are upon God and his inheritance for us and what he wants to do for us, because, you know, it's perfectly natural to examine our lives and say, Man, what am I going to have at the end of my life? What, what have I done that's useful, that's productive? And, you know, when you look at it in the natural, it's hard to see that because the world has a definition of what is useful and productive and, you know, what's good and what you should be doing and what you should believe to be a good person and so forth. And you can examine the life of the godly and it doesn't really line up to that. And you say, well, Lord, what am I going to have at the end? Well, the scripture is pretty clear is that if we focus on God, he is our inheritance. And that inheritance is preserved for all eternity for us. Reminds me of what it says in Ezekiel about a faithful group of priests who didn't have much in the way of natural possessions. And in Ezekiel 44 and verse 15, I'll read a portion of scripture here. It talks about the sons of Zadok. Ezekiel 14, 44 and verse 15. It says, but the, the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, they kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They shall, they shall come near to me to minister unto me. They'll stand before me to offer the fat and the blood, says, says the Lord. They'll enter into my sanctuary. They'll come near my table to minister unto me. They'll keep my charge. Then, then down in verse 28, he says, I am their inheritance. You shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. You know, in the natural, I mean, the Zadok, was a family of priests. They were faithful to uphold God's standard. Thank you. Got a car alarm going off. And so Zadok was that faithful, they, that family of priests, they were faithful, even though there was pressure from other sources to, to maybe not follow 
the laws of God, the standards of God fully, to focus on other things, to focus on natural things. And some priests did that. And God says, they, well, they're not going to enter into my sanctuary. But the Zadok family of priests, they just set their eyes on doing what was right in God's sight. They didn't focus on the natural. They focused on God's and on, on the Lord. And, and it's, you know, they, they, the priests, they didn't get any natural inheritance. They couldn't get wealth or, some, or anything else that comes from the land in Israel. But God said, that's okay. Because eventually that goes away. But what these priests have is going to be eternal because I am their inheritance. It's preserved in heaven for eternity. The Lord was their reward. And, and this was based upon what they allowed into the temple of God. They were the managers of the temple of God. And that can speak to us because as, as Peter says, we are, we are called to be a, a royal priesthood for kings and priests. And so we are managers of the temple of God in a sense. And how does that relate to us? Well, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. He says, No, you're not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. And so as faithful priests, we are to manage, you could say, the temple in the sense of of God's standard of righteous things of thoughts, motives, desires, emotions into our heart, which is the temple of the Lord. And if we follow the example of those faithful priests of Zadok, who their whole goal was just to keep the temple of God holy, to make a place for the presence of God in Israel in a way that would please him, God says, they are my inheritance. They are my chosen ones. goes on in verse 7, back in, in Psalm 16, it says, I will bless the Lord who, give, who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. And so David declares that God would give him direction in the night. And sometimes it seems as if those, those night experiences can be, they're challenging, right? Because in the night, you don't see anything. You know, it's, there's something funny about the night. I remember spending a night on a boat where my, uh, with my, I was at my cousin's house. And, you know, they, of course, I was young, and they kept telling me stories about how coyotes were out there, and I would listen and hear stuff. And it was at night. Everything is scary at night. When the daytime comes and you see out and it's so nice and sunny, it's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. But at night, there's something about that. We... We can struggle in the night experiences in our Christian life where it's just, you know, the fears come and the worries and so forth come. But David declares, God gave me direction. He led me in the night. He was with me. And my reins, that the old King James word reins really means my mind or my heart. God led me. He instructed me in the night. He'll speak to me. You know, sometimes when we're in those situations and sometimes we make that declaration, Lord, I need a word from heaven. I need you to, to just come in the, in the fire or the wind or the earthquake. Speak to me something. 
And if we don't get that, we just get so upset and discouraged. And of course, you know, we're alluding to the story of Elijah and the still small voice. God wasn't in all those things, but he was in the still small voice. And there's kind of that correlation that God speaks to us in our mind and our heart. He instructs us. He guides us. And sometimes, I'd say most often, that's where God is. He's instructing us in our mind and in our heart in small ways. And if we learn to pay attention to those things, to, to learn to recognize his leading, his guiding, especially in the dark times, he'll, he'll instruct us and he'll guide us through that season of the night so that we come out to the other side and we look back and say, wow, God led me through that. That's what he desires to do. He'll guide our minds and our hearts, our thoughts and emotions, and keep us in his way and show us the way to go in the night. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. That's some confidence there. Especially remembering, where was David writing this? In the wilderness, as Saul was on his heels and seeking him every day. And here's David saying, because God is at my right hand, I will not be moved. And here's the key to not being moved in a storm or in a dark time, is to live as if God is right there with us. I want to quote from Dr. Bailey's commentary on this verse. He says, This is the key to a victorious life in Christ. We must put the Lord before us so that we do everything with a, a, a consciousness that God is watching us, that he's with us. We should never do anything that we would be embarrassed to do in his presence. Have you ever talked about someone and then they show up and they're did I say anything? <laughs> what did I just say? <laughs> did they hear that? <laughs> but you know, how, how often do we do that not realizing God is right there too? But you know, that, that can be a convicting statement. Maybe we've, we can all think of things we've done or things we've acted that if Jesus walked into the room right then, we would have been a, a little embarrassed. But that's a good place to, to be and to live in, to do, because he is there anyway, whether we can rem remember that or not, because he is there, he sees everything. But if that becomes our way of life, there is great power in that. You know, Elijah, I think I've shared this verse many times. One of the things Elijah and Elisha would constantly say, they would say, the Lord God before whom I stand. The Lord God before whom that was in first Kings 17 verse one. It was this, they were just always standing right in the presence of God. And that's where they derived their power, the power to minister. And now David also said he would not be moved. He would not be moved. And I appreciated uh, something a missionary shared how, you know, it's hard to interpret that because sometimes we are moved, right? Sometimes we feel like we're shaken and we're moved. And um, one missionary was sharing from Psalm 62 and verse 2. It says, God is my rock, my salvation. He's my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. 
Well, sometimes we're moved here and there, but you know, it's the idea that we can be shaken, but God brings us right back to that place of standing in Him. And we might feel like we're shaken and moved about, but God will not let us be greatly moved if we will keep our heart and our trust in Him. Last few verses in Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad, my glory rejoices, my flesh shall rest in hope. You know, as God's people, we never need to know despair. Now, let me qualify that. It doesn't mean we won't feel it in our soul. It doesn't mean that those emotions won't rise up. But as God's people, we never need to rest in that or let that be the outcome. Instead, we can rest in hope. That's one of the great benefits of a living God and of being in His presence and in His hiding place that in times of, of trouble, His presence becomes our gladness and joy and we rest in Him. Verse 10, You will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. And here it's speaking of Christ again. You know, the Father allowed Christ to spend those three days and nights in hell. And then He delivered Him. And so He had the Father's assurance that He would deliver His soul from hell. And in that same way, we can have that assurance. If the Father delivered His Son, He'll deliver us through whatever we're going through. Whatever darkness, He will not leave us nor forsake us. One last verse. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's a good verse to end on. Let that be our the end of our testimony and of our life. He's shown me the path of life. I've experienced the fullness of joy in His presence. And then at your right hand, kind of alluding to eternity at your right hand, our pleasures forever as we trust in Him. And that, you know that's how the life of His saints progress, that that pathway gets brighter and brighter unto the perfect day, as it says in Proverbs. The more time we spend in His presence, the greater the light gets. Earthly pleasures last for a season, but God's pleasures last for eternity. And so as we find ourselves in the wilderness, whatever night situations we face, or, you know, it could be the day or it could be the night. We got difficulties happen in the day too. But whatever situation we face, whatever areas or challenges, let's allow God to bring us to that hiding place and make that our place and our position in God. Of course, remembering that the place or our position in that is a place of humility, of humility of heart. We're willing to rely upon God, to rely upon His Word, His still small voice, knowing that He's promised He'll lead us in our mind and heart. He'll direct us. That's His promise to us if we'll keep our eyes upon Him. And He becomes our portion in life and in eternity. And our end will be ever-increasing joy and peace in Him. Father, we thank You. Lord, thank You for Your promises to us. Thank You for this example that we see in, in the life of King David. 
Lord, we ask that you would just turn our heart and turn our eyes upon you. Lord, that we would see you in a new way, that we would know you in a new way. We'd be able to come to that place of humility and trust in you. And Lord, that you'd keep us. Lord, that you cause us to experience you as David did. Lord, that our heart could safely trust in you, that we could be hidden in you. Oh, do this, we pray. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.